<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey everyone, I'm Jacqueline Johnson, the founder and CEO of Create and Cultivate, and this is Work Party, a podcast for a new generation of women who are ditching the rulebook and redefining the meaning of work on their own terms. In each episode, we bring in leading female entrepreneurs for real talk advice on the topics that matter most to the modern career woman from hiring to mentorship to raising money and so much more. Whether you're pivoting to a new industry, negotiating a raise, turning your side hustle into a full-time gig, or pitching your company to investors, we're giving you the tips and tricks you need to take your career to the next level. Ready to make some money moves? Well, welcome to Work Party, the podcast. Designer and entrepreneur Liz Lang pioneered maternity chic by creating stylish body conscious clothes for pregnant women, something that surprisingly didn't exist in the 1990s. Working alone out of a one-room office, she created Liz Lang Maternity, a brand that changed the face of maternity fashions and disrupted the industry before anyone else had the chance to. She's forged huge partnerships with Nike and Target and has dressed most major pregnant celebs, from Cindy Crawford to Reese Witherspoon. And after selling her namesake brand, the industry innovator made a major return with the purchase of Fig, a popular ready-to-wear dress brand. While she's been working hard as the creative director, she's also jumped right into the role of CEO, strategizing the brand's refresh, perspective on direct-to-consumer growth, which we all know is so important. And I'm so excited to talk to this industry icon about everything from how she built her maternity empire from the ground up to the importance of having a strong POV, especially in the fashion industry. So let's welcome to the work party, Liz. Thank you. That was such a nice intro. (laughs) Yay. Well, we have a lot of ground to cover. So let's just take it back to the very beginning. Long before you entered storefronts, you worked as a staff writer for Vogue. Is this where you developed your interest in design and fashion? And tell us a little bit about where you cut your teeth before you ended up being your own boss. Right. So I did my first job out of college was at Vogue and people always say, oh, so that's where you got inspired for your line. Truthfully, no, I liked it at Vogue, but I realized early on that I didn't really want to be an editor at Vogue. I met this young, struggling fashion designer, begged him to take me on as an apprentice, did that while working for him. I basically did everything out of necessity. So I learned everything. I was the fit model. I was the fabric procurer. I helped put together his show. I did some designing, even though I have no background in that. While there, I had this aha moment about women's maternity fashions. It was the mid nineties. I was newly married. My friends were too. They were getting pregnant, complaining, squeezing themselves into stuff. 
cut to, I was like, wait, women want to wear things that are more fitted when they're pregnant. They look good wearing those things. Why is everything so oversized? Why does everything not look anything? Why does maternity clothing look so different than regular clothing, even in its styling? I suggested it to the designer I was working for who was struggling and said, you know, I think maybe this would be a turnaround for you. We don't even have to change the designs, just call it maternity clothing. He didn't get it. And in fairness, nobody got it. It made perfect sense. He didn't get it. So, you know, classic entrepreneur story, although I never would have called myself an entrepreneur or thought of it that way, but I couldn't get the idea out of my head. I ended up sort of saying, I need, I need to do this. Like, it's like, it's like something's calling me and I did it. And you know, the rest is kind of history. I mean, truly a massive white space, you know, in that industry and your pieces were both stylish and body conscious, which was groundbreaking at the time. You know, you had a few pregnant friends that were just buying oversized everything to kind of fit into things. So how did you develop your designs to meet the needs of pregnant women? It really was that I, th this is kind of technical, but stretch fabric was really new back then. Like, uh, I don't know how old you are and I'm not asking, but when I was growing up, the only things that stretched were knits and like, like, you know, t-shirts, sweaters, but your jeans, your, your woven clothing that did not stretch. So stretch really was what enabled, uh, me to, to design things that were more, more body conscious. So I had this idea that women were starting to wear all these stretch clothing. Theory was a new brand then, very hot. It was all about stretch fabric. That's how theory began. So I was like, what if I did sort of the theory, but I wasn't actually thinking of it that way, sort of the theory, the Michael Kors for, for pregnant women, the clothes could grow with them. So it wouldn't be like, uh, wouldn't be like they had to keep, you know, getting rid of it by new, because that would have been an issue. And I kind of could just tell as women were trying things on, even though they weren't saying, hey, I want things to be more fitted, I could just see that when things, when they were sort of squeezed into regular clothing, they looked better. It just, they look just thinner in them. Plus, you know, we always think of pregnancy kind of like at the end, like where you're, you know, you know, huge and about to deliver, but it's really obviously an evolution. And for, you know, maybe five months of pregnancy, most women, you know, just aren't that big. And I, again, it's, this isn't a statement about body types, like everyone's different. I'm just saying, this is what I was seeing in New York city in the nineties amongst my cohorts. So that's how I was just like, what if I used really good fabric, uh, really stretchy fabric and tried some pieces that were very clean. And that was the look of the nineties, very clean, you know, fitted when I say body conscious and it's true, like I've become really known for that. It wasn't that the line was so sexy. Like it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like crazy. It was actually somewhat conservative. In fact, my best customers were working women who were doctors, lawyers, uh, investment bankers, but it was the idea that things didn't have to be so oversized and things didn't have to look. This sounds like funny, but it's true. I felt like all the designs looked as if you yourself were morphing into a baby, like they were actually baby-ish instead of like, oh no, that's the clothes I want to buy for my newborn, but that's not the way I like to dress myself. That was sort of all the different ideas that today seems so obvious, but for some reason, the world hadn't quite gotten there yet. Absolutely. And so you have this idea, you start figuring out your formula, you borrow funds from your family to launch Liz Lake Maternity from a one room office in New York City. Tell us about building it from the ground up. Like, how did you know what to do with production? How did you attack your marketing strategies? Like, tell us everything like day one. Okay. So when you look back, we're sitting here in 2021, you use words and I've seen you use them and I would use them too, like white space and entrepreneur and attack your marketing. But you need to understand, like, I didn't go to business school. Nobody called themselves 
themselves an entrepreneur. Like it was like, I I wasn't, there was no white space. Like I I didn't have any plans at all. In fact, now I've spoken at like Harvard Business School and Wharton and the students get kind of mad. They're like, well, what do you mean you had no business plan? I'm like, I'm telling you, I had no business plan. So I just was trying to do what was logical. It was pre-computer. It was really pre-internet. I, you know, pounded the pavements around 8th Avenue in the fashion district, which I knew from working for this designer, found a factory that was willing to work with me made to order. Meaning literally that I had this idea that I could see women by appointment only. I would get like one of each thing made. They could, I didn't want to take any risk on inventory. They could try it on. If they liked it, I would fax orders every night to this factory. I don't know if you all know what faxes are, but I faxed <laughs> them in every night. And the factory promised me that they would deliver them to me within two weeks. So it was this, but still, even today, nobody would even wait two weeks. But that's sort of what I was doing. You could see me by appointment. If I was busy one day, then my office was closed and I was faxing them. I was shipping them out to people. I was dropping them off at their apartment. Marketing was an interesting thing. I think this was like sort of the key to my success along with the designs was that, again, this sounds strange today, but of course I understood that people cared about what celebrities wore, but nobody was talking about pregnant celebrities. Back then, if a, if a celebrity got pregnant, we just didn't discuss it. Like, I guess maybe that year she didn't make a movie or a TV series. And then the next year she just appeared again. Nobody was asking her like about her baby showers, what she wore, the favors, the cake, like People Magazine in style. This was just sort of the beginning, even though like, what are you wearing on the runway stuff? That was just, I mean, on the red carpet, that was just starting. So I had this idea that I should dress any celebrity that was pregnant, but it wasn't that easy to find out who, because there wasn't an internet, but I, this is all so old fashioned, but there was this service called celebrity services and you could subscribe to it. It wasn't very expensive. And for the low end membership, which I had, they would give you the contact information for three celebrities a month. So anytime I heard a celebrity was pregnant, I would personally, I didn't have a PR firm. I would personally reach out to their assistant or manager who I found through celebrity services. And I would just offer to dress them. Frankly, I would offer to dress them for free. And I would suggest that to anybody listening, like, of course. So I'd offer to dress them for free. Every single one of them said yes, because I had no competition. So it didn't matter how A-list they were. Like you mentioned at the beginning, and it sounds funny, but literally like back then, Cindy Crawford was a supermodel. She was like, oh, this will be amazing. And she brought Paulina Poroskova and Elle McPherson because they were her buddies. And then at the time, Kelly Ripa was trying out to be on the Regis show with him. So I literally went to her office at the Regis show every single morning with a different outfit and dressed her. And then these women did press with me. And then as you, then it became everybody. Then it just became Gwyneth and Reese and Kate Blanchett and Julianne Moore. But it got to the point because there was, it was, it was an incredible thing. Like I don't have this today with Fig. It doesn't exist. But because I was doing this and at that moment, it caught up, but no one was yet. These celebrities started calling me. Like I would start, I mean, it was like, it was truly pinch me, but honestly, like they would call my office and be like, Oh, hey, could I come in? I was like, seriously? Yes, you could come in. So that that's sort of, and it, it snowballed literally, I'm saying literally too much. People say it's like a drinking game, but beyond my wildest, wildest comprehension, like I couldn't keep up with the business. I couldn't believe what was going on. I, I, I couldn't grow fast enough. And fast forward again, I don't know if I'm skipping over your questions. So do you want me to take a breath or not tell you? Or like, how- Oh, no, no, you're <laughs> great. Keep going. Right, yeah. So the other thing that happened is, so this was very high end. Like my idea at the beginning was, it was all I knew how to do and it was expensive to do. So this was an expensive maternity brand. Uh, yeah. But like within a year, I didn't have a store yet. I had moved from my office to a second floor 
it was, it was, you could see it from the street, but it was on the second floor and it was on Lexington Avenue, which isn't like the best shopping street in New York city. Madison Avenue would be. So I had this tiny little 300 square foot semi-store second floor. And at that point, Nike, some, an executive from Nike called me and basically said that I, I mean, I literally to this day feel like I thought I was being punked, said, well, Nike, we've been doing some studying and we are having trouble with the trust of women. And our research tells us that women trust you as like, trust me. And anyway, I ended up doing a collaboration with them and we didn't call it a collaboration back then, but it was Liz Lang for swoosh. And they sold it at all their Nike towns and Nike goddess stores, which don't exist anymore. And I sold them at mine. So that was the first maternity athletic apparel line. And then Target came along and I ended up taking over their entire maternity department at every uh, Target location and on Target.com. With that, plus my high-end boutiques, which along the way, because there was just, you know, honestly, like money was just flowing in because the business was successful. I ended up opening three flagship, big maternity stores on the high end, partnership with Nike, partnership with Target. And when I sold the brand and I, again, I did not have an exit strategy, nor did I know the word exit strategy, did not know those, those words <laughs> put together. I knew them as separate words, but anyway, I ended up selling to private equity 10 years later. And at the time, and I don't mean this braggy, it was just a wild ride. It was the largest maternity apparel brand um, in the United States. We're taking a pause here to give a shout out to one of today's sponsors, Bliss. I used to hate applying sunscreen. It never mixed well with my makeup routine. And I always ended the day feeling a little more greasy and shiny than I started. But the practice of applying sunscreen every day is so important. So I've been on the hunt for a formula that I love wearing and protects my skin. After tons of testing, I finally found that the Bliss Blockstar Invisible Daily Sunscreen is exactly what I was looking for all along. Blockstar Daily Mineral SPF is a sunscreen you actually want to wear. The formula provides 100% clean mineral broad spectrum protection and it looks and feels amazing. The sheer universal tint blends in effortlessly with no white casts and always leaves my skin feeling super smooth. If you're a busy mom or entrepreneur or both and don't have the time to apply a full face of makeup, the Blockstar shines alone too. And if you decide to apply makeup later, Blockstar acts as the perfect primer. The Bliss Blockstar is non-comedogenic, which means it won't block pores, cause breakouts, irritate your skin, or leave it feeling greasy. And Bliss is a B Corp certified, clean, cruelty-free, planet-friendly skincare brand on a mission to empower everyone to achieve a higher state of happy, one self-care moment at a time. All Bliss products are thoughtfully formulated to be safe and free from harmful substances you don't want on your skin or in your body. And they partner with the most responsible ingredient suppliers and follow strict European Union standards, which are the highest standards in the world for skincare safety. Get 25% off your purchase of Blockstar Daily Mineral Sunscreen on blissworld.com and use code PARTY at checkout. The easiest and most important self-care step you can take is applying sunscreen every single day. And protecting your skin from the sun is so important. So go to blissworld.com and enter code PARTY today. I used to care so much about portraying a perfect life and acting like everything was okay when really things were far from it. I was secretly battling anxiety, depression, and an eating disorder, so it was a lot. I'm Victoria Garrick, former Division I athlete, mental health advocate, and host of RealPod. Every Wednesday, I sit down with celebrities, athletes, entrepreneurs, and more to talk about the inner thoughts and feelings that we're all struggling with. So leave the filters and facetunes at the door and join me on RealPod. Obviously, things moved quickly. Things scaled rapidly. You made really strategic decisions, obviously, with uh, Nike and all these different things. 
when did you take a step back and realize, oh my God, I'm running the largest maternity brand in the country. And like, who do I need to bring in to help support this growth? Yeah. I mean, I, obviously the idea that I was running the biggest maternity brand in the United States, that, that probably never occurred to me. But what did start to happen quickly was I started to need help. Like I couldn't, I was working 24 seven and loving it, but I couldn't do it all. Like I never had a second quite literally never had a second. So, you know, I started to hire, I just started to hire however I could. Funnily enough, I was very near the Ralph Lauren store and they became almost like my in-house HR department. I mean, I hope they're not listening, <laughs> but it was literally like, they were just very, they had a really great training program there. So my first merchant was from there. I used to hire women to work in my stores who had worked at the Ralph Lauren stores. Cause they were, again, just, it was kind of the gold standard of training. I still think Ralph Lauren is a business genius. I hired someone to do production, all the things I had been doing myself. I would say that the one thing that I never really let go of, I, by the end, I had about a hundred employees, but the thing I never let go of that I you know, think is really important is to the very, very end, I worked in all my stores whenever I could. Like every Saturday I went to the stores. It wasn't because I had to, but I went to my Madison Avenue store and often I would drive out to my Long Island store. And when I could, I would fly to LA. And I just felt there was nothing that I, I missed so much the one-on-one -on -one customer interaction that I had had in the very early days because I learned so much from them. Like it wasn't, I wasn't doing it to be nice. It was that I could see how things were fitting. I could see what they were wearing. I could see what their needs were. So I, I kind of, you know, never really stopped working at the stores and sitting in on all of our design and, and fitting meetings, even though there were a lot of reasons why I sold at the end. One was just, you know, I, I got an offer that I couldn't refuse, but another was that, the funny thing is a tiny bit, I think, with entrepreneur stories, and I don't know if other people feel the same, but it's a tiny bit, be careful what you wish for. Like on the other mm -hmm. hand, right? It, on the one hand, it was like so exciting and so heady and so amazing that this had grown to be this huge success. But I got to the point where everybody all of a sudden was sort of saying, oh, Liz, no, 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 don't do that. Or you can't do that. Or you're, you know, you're too busy for that. Don't just don't let us handle it. And I started feeling like I wasn't able to do, like, it wasn't as fun anymore. Like I was just sitting in my corporate office almost with nothing to do. That's very true. And I'm sure that's an experience that I think a lot of entrepreneurs can relate to at the beginning, when you're in the weeds on things, you're you're coming up with all the ideas and the creative and the sparks and the marketing and, and you know, you're on the ground meeting with people. And I think as you grow and get bigger, your role definitely shifts and changes. And, you know, so as you mentioned in 2007, you sold the brand to private equity. At that point, were you completely out? Like, you know, was were you like, okay, I'm out or did you stay on board for a while after? So what happened was, I sold in 2007. I stayed on, I want to say it was 2017 or 2018 because my target, my, my target contract that continued through then. And I had, wow. I was sort of managing that relationship and the face of that brand for target. It was Liz Lang for target. So I actually stayed on, but, but I, I no longer, you know, I had no, I had no direct reports. I had no employees working for me. So my life face. became, I was the face. And at that point I actually shifted gears. I couldn't do maternity other than be the face for target. I had sold the rights to do anything in the maternity apparel space. So I went to home shopping network but I was like 40. So I wasn't done working. So I went to Home Shopping Network where the new CEO at that time, Mindy Grossman, was the woman who I had done the Nike deal. She had been the head of women's apparel when I did that Nike deal. So she had moved on in her career. And so she asked me if I wanted to do a line of just, you know, sort of, I would call it like easy wear, easy care, regular apparel for Home Shopping Network. And I did that. I did that for 10 years. Like I would sell it on air. It was a lot of fun. And then 
after 10 years, I was kind of tired of the nonstop trips to Tampa and the three days of no sleep when you're just selling 24 seven, which is fun. But I was, you know, then I was getting like older or exhausted. So when I stopped doing that, it was around the same time that the target deal wound down. That's when I was sort of looking for my next chapter, I guess, because I must be a glutton for punishment or so that's when I was looking for my next chapter. And that's when no I- No days off that, for you. No days off for No you. days off for me. I mean, that's really not true. You know, I'm here in Palm Beach and it's fabulous, but I ended up being, then I ended up this opportunity with Fig, which was a brand that I had been a huge fan and customer of, ended up coming, coming my Amazing. way. Amazing. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about Fig. So now you're the CEO and creative director of Fig, a ready-to-wear clothing brand you acquired in December of 2020. So why Fig? Why this timing? Why this as your next move? Okay. So apparel is obviously at this point in my blood. It's all I know. It's what I live and breathe. Like that, that, you know, that, that, that's my expertise. So I had been a huge fan of the Fig brand. Again, like probably one of their bigger customers, I assume. I don't really know. Never thought about acquiring it. I I heard through the grapevine in the fall of 2020 that the founder, a woman who I admire greatly, had sort of just, and I get it, had sort of just come to the end of her robe between COVID and just the ups and downs of the fashion industry. She was done. So I thought to myself, well, first of all, a couple of things. I love this brand. I understand this brand. And the way that it was that time in my life when I, I mean, it was truly that time in my life when I when I started losing maternity. I got pregnant a year later. My two children are the same age. Of mo- so many customers write me and they're, they're, their children are my identical children's age. So we were all kind of getting pregnant then. So now I would joke that I've sort of entered my calf 10 years. I'm not sure that's totally true, but <laughs> semi-true. I was living down in Palm Beach because of the because of the pandemic, literally living in fig in the fig soft pieces, in their caftans, in their little soft dresses. And I, I and of course, and during the winter during COVID, I was living in sweats like everybody else. But I kind of was thinking to myself that soft dressing, even though of course none of us want to wear sweats anymore. Oh, actually I do, but, but you know, we're not, <laughs> but, but that like really we're sort of ready. I, I knew that there'd come a time when people were ready to dress again, but I did think that possibly power suits and that very structured way of dressing was, was sort of going to be out of favor for a while. I knew that I wasn't feeling it, but what I was feeling was fig. Like I was feeling, and I saw a ton of upside there. Like to me, Fig is known for, and you said it at the, you know, sort of at the top of this, that the Fig is known for, you know, caftans and, and dresses. And it is. And I think they are the gold standard in that. But to me, there's a real opportunity in all soft separates. If like, I, who's an example? If Michael Kors in the 90s and maybe today Veronica Beard or somebody like her dresses a woman 24-7 when she's in sort of structured clothing. To me, Fig is the opportunity to do it all softer, like the soft bohemian, but, but you know, Euro fabulous, like, you know, pants and, and skirts and, and even, even dresses that I might wear in, in New York City, you know, obviously yeah. on vacation, but also in New York City. And we're introducing knits and ultimately swimwear, although that, you know, that cuts the other way. And the, the boldness of the prints, the ease of the designs. To me, it was just really speaking to the way I wanted to dress. So I've always sort of, as I said at the beginning, I don't go by business plans. So to me, it was always, if I'm feeling for this, I think my cohorts might be too. We'll be back in just a moment. But first, I wanted to share a little more about one of Work Party's latest sponsors. Every single morning without fail, I take my athletic greens and here's why. With one single scoop of athletic greens, I'm absorbing 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens that help me start the day right. The special blend of ingredients supports my digestion, it gives me high energy, and it fills in the nutritional gaps I might be missing throughout the day. 
For example, last night my husband and I made an amazing dinner, but afterwards we realized we hadn't incorporated any greens. But I wasn't concerned because I had my AG1 by Athletic Greens set up and ready to drink with my coffee the next morning. AG1 by Athletic Greens brings comprehensive and daily nutrition to every single body. Like I said, the formula contains 75 vitamins and minerals, including an entire multivitamin and multi-mineral probiotic in one single serving. It also has less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals or artificial anything, and it still tastes really, really good. Athletic Greens is also lifestyle friendly. Not only is it so easy to take one scoop a day, people, hello, the formula is also keto, paleo, and vegan friendly, dairy-free, and gluten-free, so it fits the bills for most dietary needs. I'm also loving Athletic Greens because it supports better sleep and recovery. Lately, I've been pushing myself trying new workouts and trying to stay consistent, Athletic Greens has helped my body support itself and recover when it's finally time to take some rest. AG1 is a small micro habit with huge benefits. It's one thing you can do every single day to take great care of yourself, and it costs less than $3 a day. So look at it as investing in your health. It's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash party. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash party to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. So now you're re-entering the fashion world in a whole new marketplace. So Fig plans to focus on and invest heavily in direct-to-consumer sales, especially through Instagram and Facebook, which is where obviously everyone's playing. And it's something that the brand hadn't done previously. I assume you hadn't done previously just by, you know, nature of the years that you were operating Liz Lang. What role do you see social media playing in the growth of Fig? Well, I see it as huge, even though you're right. The most experience I have with it is frankly my own Instagram account, which I certainly didn't have, you know, for Liz Lang maternity. It would have been amazing had I, but I always had an understanding of the importance of community. And that's really what I like about Instagram for it. I'm just using Instagram as an example. So to me, the idea that we can speak, and it's sort of like HSN too. If I can speak directly to our consumer, to a woman, which is what we can do through social media, whether it's through paid or through unpaid. Well, I'm trying to back up for a minute. When I, when I started Lasagna Maternity, because this relates to that, I thought I would sell my designs to stores and that they would sell to women. But all the stores I approached said, oh, no, 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 no. Women aren't interested in this. They don't care what they look like when they're pregnant. We're not going to sell it. So I thought, fine, you don't really understand your customer. I do. If you don't want to sell to her, I'll sell to her directly. I'll open up an office. I'll figure this out. I mean, I wasn't looking to be open retail stores. That never crossed my mind. And I feel like there's no difference. In a weird way to me, that's what direct-to-consumer and social media mm-hmm. is. It's kind of like, it's a, we have a huge wholesale business at FIG, and I and I plan to continue that and grow it, and I respect it. But I love the idea that, that we don't have have to be dependent on a store to stand between, let's say, us and our customer. I want to be able to talk to her. And that's what I love. That's why I see the future in our, you know, in our own website where we can create the world of fig and you can see it the way we want to present it on Facebook, on Instagram, on Pinterest. I mean, on TikTok. I mean, things that you're right. I'm too old to to speak the language, but luckily I have, I have people that work for me that do. And I think I have just a, a good feeling, a good sense. Like I kind of figured it out on my own Instagram. 
I knew that I wasn't of a generation where I wanted to show sort of selfies of myself, you know, things that my, you know, 21 year old daughter does and it's adorable. I wasn't looking to do that. I, did, I grew up more private than that because my generation was more private than that. And it's, but I did figure out that I could show images of things that did mean things to me, mean something to me. And then I could talk, I, I'm comfortable writing about personal stories in the copy, but I don't want it to be a picture of me. So that's sort of my combination. And it's been working. Yeah. And I feel like I want to find, I want to find that for fig. Yeah, no, absolutely. So what lessons did you learn at Liz Lang that now you're bringing into fig? I think that the main one, and it's sort of what I've been kind of emphasizing is the importance of listening to this customer, of respecting this customer, mm. of keeping any line of communication open with her that you can. So at Liz Lang, because we didn't have social media, what I had always on my website was an ask Liz button. And it was, it was a place where people could ask me things. I even made Target do that. They thought I was absolutely nuts, but I find it takes me two seconds on my phone to, to see the question, to answer the question. And the truth is it's as helpful to me as it is to the customer. So that was like, like huge, huge, huge lesson for me that I carry into fake. I need to be interacting with this customer. Otherwise I'll just be in an ivory tower thinking, Oh, I like this. I mean, I'm being very specific, but like, Oh, you know, I like to wear yellow caftans. Well, it turns out none of my customers do. I need to kind of like talk to them. So I'm hoping that through our website, through our social media channels, and I plan to run the Instagram one myself, that I will be able to get this kind of direct feedback and this sort of community, which sounds like a weird, I barely understand the way it's used today, but I mean it quite literally, uh, community where yeah. I'm talking to them, they're talking to me, <laughs> I don't know. maybe they're talking. It's to amazing other. how much has changed in such a short amount of time, but like so much has kind of stayed the same. It's just like in different iterations. So for you, obviously now you're, you've built a business, you had a business acquired. Now you're acquiring, acquiring businesses, but you're also an investor in a lot of consumer brands, Harper Wild, Bulletin and Carbon 38, just to name a few. Why is it so important to invest in women-led companies? And what do you look for when you're investing? I, first of all, I love investing in entrepreneurs in general. Like, even though I, as I kept laughing, I didn't really use that word when I was, you know, 30 and starting my business today, of course I use it. So I, and I, as I also indicated, I love the early stages. I love the ride. So it's a, it's really fun for me, first of all, to, to be a little piece of other people's ride. I love it. I hope I can be helpful. I think women led is important, but I, to be totally honest, I don't only invest in women. I believe in women, but I generally believe in entrepreneurs, men and women. So I look for the entrepreneurs that First of all, I have to like what they're doing. I have to like their advice, you know, their product or their, you know, their whatever it is. And I like when they do have a team, I think the team is important. I like to kind of know their team. I like entrepreneurs that are open, that don't, and I can't even say that I was this person, but now in retrospect and in hindsight, I like the entrepreneurs that I always say to them from the beginning, I'm going to want to give you advice. I'm going to want to be involved. It's going to be annoying. Like I get that. I was you. So it's sometimes going to be annoying. And if you're not up for that, it's probably not for me because then I'll just invest, you know, in our stock portfolio. So I, I try to choose ones that are open, not just to me, but to others in general. First of all, I think it's probably a good sign. So I'd say that that's kind of what I'm looking for, but I'm investing in people as much as I'm investing in their ideas. So it's really, and that's why I said, yes, women, of course, but not exclusively. Hey listeners, we're taking a quick pause to talk about today's sponsor, Printfresh. One of my favorite women-owned clothing brands is back with an exclusive code for work party listeners. Printfresh is a women-owned and operated luxury sleeper company with inclusivity and sustainability at the forefront of their brand values. 
all of their sleepwear is full of colorful, whimsical patterns that are beautifully screen printed by hand on 100% organic cotton. Printfresh is my secret to getting the dreamiest night's sleep. I wear my short set almost every night and they're always the first thing I put on to snuggle down and pass out after an exhausting day. And I'm obsessed with their new spring collection. Printfresh patterns are always cute, but this season they turned up the brightness with the most whimsical patterns. I'm talking lemon zest, fruit medley, unicorn's garden, and of course, good dog are my favorites this season. If you filter to the good dog, you'll know exactly what I mean. Sizes range from XS petite to 6X, along with offering women's, men's, and all gender silhouettes. Anyone can find their perfect fit. Mother's Day may be next month, but when it comes to gifting, it's right around the corner. And thankfully, Printfresh offers fast shipping and free exchanges. They truly produce the prettiest, dreamiest, and softest pajamas on the market, and I am sure every mom would love to own a set. Head to printfresh.com slash workparty or use code PARTY for 15% off your first order. Shop sustainably, support an incredible women-owned business, and sleep in luxury with Printfresh. That's printfresh.com slash workparty or use code PARTY when checking out. So lastly, I want to talk about your new podcast. It's called The Just Enough Family and tells the story of your iconic New York family. So tell us a little bit about it and why did you decide to tell the story through the medium of podcasting? Well, that was interesting. I fell into podcasts, like listening to them, like I think many others did too, during COVID. I had never really listened to a podcast. I found myself in East Hampton and Palm Beach, just walking all the time, started listening to podcasts, fell in love with them. I had been toying with the idea of doing a memoir. I knew I, I knew I had an interesting background. I knew I had kind of a, I thought, I thought a kind of interesting story to tell, you know, that's subjective. And a friend of mine, who's a brilliant writer, Arielle Levy, she's a, you know, she writes for The New Yorker, had been given this sort of side gig to do a podcast for Sony. She and I were sort of, to use the word pod again, kind of podding a bit together during the pandemic. She was one of the few people I was seeing. She asked me if I wanted to do an episode of it. It was, she was sort of doing people that have led unexpected lives. And she was going to interview lots of different people who had led unexpected lives. So I was going to be one of them. We did the interview and after it, she and Sony were like, this, you know, this is bigger than that. Let's just do the whole series on it. So it kind of evolved. I don't know that I, I'm kind of glad I didn't know in advance what we're going to do. I don't even know if I, I mean, generally I'm one of those people who says yes to everything. Cause I was like, you just never know, but um, like, what's the worst that could happen, but that could also get you in trouble. And uh, so I mean, I'm, glad, <laughs> I'm glad I did it. It's quite revealing. I mean, it's not entirely revealing. People are always like, oh, how could you say all that? And I'm like, well, you know what? There's a lot I didn't say, you know, you think you know everything about me, but you don't, I, you know, I was very specific in what I said and what I didn't. So anyway, it turned into, like, I didn't, I don't know if I went in thinking this will be my memoir, but I feel like the memoir I had toyed with writing kind of became a podcast memoir, which I don't, you know, which is interesting. I love that. Now I want to listen. I'm like, any tidbits, anything like that that you can reveal? And also, where can we listen? Well, the podcast is available everywhere. Like, you know, I, I listen on that purple microphone icon on my phone. Yeah. But, you know, it's Spotify, it's Apple. Can <laughs> you believe how low tech I am? <laughs> no, I love it. I love it. <laughs> but there's no place you can't listen to it. If you like to listen to podcasts, you just, you just sort of search for the just enough family and it comes up. I mean, again, I don't mean this braggy. I'm not a real housewife of New York city. I'm talking about the past. I'm 55 years old, but what's interesting is that I grew up in one of the most well-known sort of rich Jewish families in the United States at that time. And so it's about what it felt like to be part of that family. That was quite, quite well-known when I was growing up in the seventies and eighties, and then also very famously lost their money when I was, you know, in my early thirties. So it's, it's a bit about that. 
And just just sort of growing up in New York City in that very rarefied world and that sort of new world. And I'm not I think it's interesting for anyone, no matter what your religion. I'm just saying it was this new time. It was a Jewish thing, like Jews having the kind of money that they're that prior to that had been reserved more for wasps. (laughs) Wow. It's that. No, it sounds fascinating. I I, like family, New York City, 70s, like sounds incredible. So we'll definitely be tuning in. Thank you. Um, So let's wrap with a few rapid fire sentence finishers. If That sounds good. Yep. Okay. The biggest sacrifice I've made for my career is? Probably not spending enough time with my children when they were babies. Yeah. Yeah. The The number one money tip for entrepreneurs is? Don't go raising and spending a ton of money. I find this crazy, all this like raising of millions of dollars for your marketing team and everything. Do some of this yourself. I feel like it's funny because like I've bootstrapped both my businesses and I recently sold Crate and Cultivate, the majority of it to private equity. So similar boat to you. You get it. But mostly because I didn't, the raising of money wasn't a thing when I started it. And I'm sure it wasn't a thing for you. It actually cracks me up. Like, yeah, Yeah, no, it wasn't an option. But the last thing I liked on social media was, oh my gosh. I mean, I'm always on Instagram. I love Instagram. It's where I get so inspired. So I don't, I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. Who do you follow? Who's like a, a fun follow? Oh my God. I follow Ada Wintour. I follow, now I'm trying to think because I follow so many people. I love like, there's so many 60s and 70s accounts that I follow, you know, to see famous, you know, celebrities in the the 60s and 70s. That's mostly the accounts I follow. I love the decades ones. I think they're really fun. And I follow a few 90s too, just for nostalgia. Oh, me too. Yeah. Three traits every entrepreneur should look for in an employee are? Hardworking, flexible, loyal. Yeah, absolutely. It doesn't well, really matter what so- their other background is, by the way. Sorry, go on. True, true. Loyalty is is worth more than you can ever imagine. Yes. Well, thank you so much, Liz. And where can our followers and listeners follow you on social media? At Liz Lang Official. That's mine. And Fig Love is Figs. And F-I-G-U-E. Yes, it's a French spelling. F-I-G-U-E. And I'm Liz Lang Official. So yes. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Liz, for being here. This was so fun. Thank you. Yay. Yay. For more inspiring conversations like this one, follow the Work Party Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to rate and review us or show us some love on social. We love seeing you tune in every week and share your favorite episodes. We're at Work Party on Instagram and at It's a Work Party on Facebook and Twitter. I'm your host, Jacqueline Johnson, and this is Work Party.